that should be a huge red flag if I'm out looking for an agency and I see that pattern. I, I want to avoid a company like that. I want a bit more stability and future backwards thinking rather than just, I want to capitalize on the moment. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. You know, we were just uh, getting ready to go, and you were talk- telling a story about a free trial, yeah, and like the barriers that they put up. Like, I mean, there's just so many things. You know, like you want to sign up for this thing you've had a free trial for, and they're putting all of these barriers in place, and you're like, just let me give you my money. And it, it's an interesting to think a thing to think about because how many times are we working with clients and they're trying to find every which way to reduce friction from someone coming to a site and say viewing a product or service and then ultimately purchasing all the time. Right. I mean, it's, well, they're, they're, they, they want the outcome. It's the work in between that often is the stumbling block. It's like, we all agree. We want it make, to make it easy to give us your money. They want to give us your money. Why are we making this part to make it simple? So difficult. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it, that they think they're making it easy, but mm. instead are adding just steps that are causing frustration with those people that are like, just please make it simple for me to sign up or continue this trial. <laughs> you mean the checkout flow that has like 14 steps and one of the steps is you have to like open up a different app and get something and then come back and yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Like it shouldn't be this difficult. You know, if you've already convinced them that they want this, any additional steps you put in between the yes and the exchange of money is only going to get worse, right? <laughs> like you're only going to lose more people. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget it. Um, I was working for an e-commerce platform uh, provider, an enterprise level platform provider several, several years ago. And the agency that was part of the organization had a usability uh, team and they would re- uh, routinely bring people in for usability studies of the site and there'd be clients and other executives from the company, you know, behind, you know, the, the, the mirrored glass watching it and they'd also record it. And they, this was when like the, the concept of like the, um, the mini product page and the mini cart and those Mm -hmm. things, those little overlays were starting to become like the thing to have on your site. You know, you browse over the product, you know, on the listing page, you click on it, a little mini overlay would come up with details or you would click on it. And then the big mini cart add to cart notification overlay would pop up. And sometimes these things were so sensitive that you could trigger it. Like you accidentally mouse over the cart. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, this overlay would take over a good portion of the page. And like all of the feedback for these features was horrible. Like terrible like people saying like 
I'm just trying to get to the product page. And every time I think I'm clicking on something that's going to take me to the product page, it gives me this overlay or it gives me something else. Or I want to check out. And every time I go to like click on the cart because people have been ingrained, cart icon is in the upper right. You go, you click on that, it takes you to the cart. Every time they'd hover over, this thing would take over the screen and the frustration. Like one executive was about like coming in and saying, we need to rip this off every client site because mm. these are massive barriers to entry. The idea that these are going to make it easier, it's it, it's failing. It's actually causing frustration in people to quit. Did that, you, you got to take away my... Uh admin access or something. Oh, you're things. playing with all the new buttons, aren't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, so my question to you is, did that executive come to that conclusion because of the data or because of the user uh, usability study? Both. The um, quantitative data was showing there was no benefit to having this on the site. So that's when they got the usability groups together to see real world examples of people using it. And they had, they, they brought in people of wide ranging ages, like people mm -hmm. who you would think maybe are a bit more savvy versus those that aren't. And they all had the same experience. So the qualitative data gave the color and um, what's the other word I'm looking for? The, the flavor to what, the web data was saying that there is not an increase in product views. There is no increase in add to cart. There's no increase in purchases. And if anything, they're, they're, they were seeing a decrease in people actually reaching the product page. Yeah. Interesting. Have you ever set in on one of those? By the a way? couple. Yeah. I I'll tell you, um, I don't know if it's funny or frustrating, but I, I had the opportunity to sit in on one. Um, and this, the setting was, you know, it was the, it was the classic room, you know, the white room with the whiteboard on the wall and the, you know, the, de the small desk with the present with the well interviewer and interviewee. Um, and then the observation room was this like small stadium seating, like three or four rows of stadium seating that we could watch. Um, it was actually pretty cool because it had like a full little kitchenette and stuff in there too. So we could have snacks and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Um, but, uh, and, and I, I obviously won't talk about the name of the client, but uh, with this client, uh, a retail client, uh, I, I felt like we had made, <laughs> hair in my mouth, uh, an incredibly strong case for their um, checkout being overly complicated. And we had the data, we had, you know, we were able to kind of build this story of where people were falling off and, and some of our um, insights for why it was happening. And we just really struggled to get buy-in. Um, and, you know, maybe it was us, maybe we didn't tell the story well enough, maybe the data was, I don't know, but just really struggled to get people to believe that there was a problem here. So happened to be on site with the client, they invited us to this usability study where we got to be behind the two-way mirror and the very first person they talked to you know they pull up the website they said okay grab a product add it to the cart check out and she's like maybe the first or second step into the checkout she's like i don't even know what you're wanting me to do here this is so complicated and and one of the executives in the room like oh god we gotta fix this i'm like i don't know if this desk is hard enough for me to bang my head against right now i'm like yes right? I yeah. know. <laughs> well, it, it's, 
it's the idea the minute you go down that usability study, if the, you know, that is the further validation to what the web data is trying to tell you. And sometimes you just need to go down that extra step and say, okay, yeah, there isn't a flaw in the numbers. Because when it comes to these kind of things, you have executives, you have management that's like, well, this is our customer. This is the way they behave. Everybody has this on their site, so we need it too. Yeah, yeah. And that it, it, this is the, the this time, like this was 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. And again, like that's when the idea of like having all of these overlays and pop-ups to make it easier. And they were finding like it was anything, anything but. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just found it so, I guess, happy that it it happened, but like almost shocked that it was literally the first person in the usability study. And we were there for four or five hours, like watching people, but it was the first person yeah. in the study said, this is hard. I'm like, oh, that's it. That's all the evidence we need. But to your point, maybe it's right. Like maybe they were hearing the story of this, the data saying this, and then just the first person kind of validating that I was like, okay, I, I got it. I, yeah. I believe it. And like, this is what I want to start talking about the next couple episodes is services around data. Um, so specifically talking about agencies. So, I mean, everybody knows we're, we're an agency. We're yeah. a boutique analytics agency. Um, but like, you know, when it comes to actually hiring an agency, do people think about what, you know, what, what kind of agency that they, they want to hire? And I am butchering this no, 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 yeah. So I'm just going to go to my notes instead of trying to wing it. Um, so <laughs> what I want to talk about today is like in the space where we exist, what kinds of agencies are out there? What kinds of organizations um, and what kind of services can someone hire if they want help with data? For example, like we, we're not the same as, as other agencies out there. So what exists how can people find out like what they need? And ultimately, like, as we're talking through this, like, what would you say to someone who says like, well, isn't hiring a digital analytics agency, just hiring an agency and all of these other questions I just posed? Yeah. I, I don't even know where to start without sound, sounding like I'm just going to ramble for, I, and there's so much to unpack. There's so many different nuances. And the short answer to your question is do do businesses think about what type of agency? The the short answer is no. I mean, rarely. I mean, they don't they don't understand that there's different types of agencies that offer different services. There are different types of agencies that operate under different models. Some that are more focused and kind of niche. Some that are we do everything for everybody, um, and and then everything to fill in the gaps in between, which makes. I, I think a really exciting and valuable marketplace that you can pick and choose the partner that is going to work best for your culture and your specific needs. But the only way that works is if there's one transparency, which agencies inherently are very bad at. They like to pretend and tell a lot of stories. So it makes it difficult to pick the right partner if agencies are not committed to transparency. Uh, and two, you have to understand what you're looking for. Um, and, and again, I think a lot of companies don't go through that effort or work to say, well, what kind of agency 
will we work best with? They just go out there. And a lot of times it's not even them. It's their procurement teams that have a list of structured questions that set that are going to determine the best agency for them. And I can guarantee you, if you're having your procurement team pick your agency, it's going to be shitty 99 times out of a hundred. 999 times out of a thousand. So you have to put in the work to truly understand um, and agencies have to commit to transparency in order to make it work. So I would say um, at, at a at a most simplistic level, and I think we may have talked about this before, and then we can get into the different types and structures of agencies. But let's first talk about why businesses look to bring in outside help in the first place. And um, from from our perspective, we see three primary reasons that they they do this. They bring them in for, I guess, what we we would call bandwidth. This is kind of the most elementary, basic entry point to external services. We we simply don't have enough bodies to do the work. So we're going to bring in an, an outside firm to provide bandwidth. And typically they call those people contractors, right? They're, they're doing work at the behest of the client. We have a job, we have a role, we can't fill it with a full-time employee. So we're going to bring in an agency to add to our bandwidth by adding contractors to our engagement. The second tier is what I would describe as expertise. So companies that um, understand that they're trying to solve for specific problems and either they know they'll solve it better by having external expertise as part of that problem solving team, or they're strong enough, and this is few and far between, but there are companies that are strong enough to admit that we simply don't have the expertise at all in-house. So we want to bring that in. I mean, kudos and props to them for having the the strength and courage to, to say that because ultimately they're going to probably end up with better problem solving, better solutions, better products and services that they create because of that. So that's that kind of second layer. And then the third layer is what I would describe as objectivity. And we, I think we talked about this maybe on an internal call this, this week um, where we talked about how difficult it is to evaluate and see our own work and mistakes, right? It's, it's the classic back in school where I get docked down for misspelling a word on my essay. And I'm like, oh, I literally read this 50 times and I didn't see that I misspelled the word the, <laughs> you know, because we're so used to looking at it. But Jim comes in who's never seen it and it's like, yeah, you misspelled that, right? The same with coding. So I have a background in software development and I can't, I can't name the number of times where I have stared at code for minutes, hours. I'm like, why is this breaking? And then someone would walk by my desk, dude, you're missing a semicolon right there. I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> you know, so that that objectivity from a just it's hard to evaluate our own work perspective, but also from a perspective of being able to be outside the politics. And this is what I think we're able to bring to our clients in a in a very valuable way is that we can say and do things that they can't because of the internal politics. The worst is we get fired, right? Eh, whatever. Like we move on, they move on. But, you know, they want to say it or they want that objectivity, but they're not willing. And, and again, kudos to them for being able to find a solution to stick their neck out and say, eh, we think this is the wrong approach. They just don't want to have to deal with the fallout or the politics around it. It's much easier for an expert to come in. And in fact, it's much easier for an expert to come in and say, you guys should do A. Even when the team says that or the team wants to do that, if they were to say it, so many times they get so much pushback or there's internal processes. But 
accepted agency A that was accepted as an expert is saying we need to do A. Well, yeah, we need to do A. Kind of like how we started off this conversation, you know, like, well, the data is saying we need, nah, I don't know. Well, wait a minute. This customer is saying it's, yeah, well, we need to do it then. You know, there's, there's just more weight to it. Okay. That was a lot. <laughs> Let me take a drink. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you started off with why companies hire an agency. Uh, because I think even sometimes like while they think they know what their needs are, they don't fully evaluate what their needs are. Yeah. So it's, they, they want, maybe they do want that objectivity um, or they think they want the objectivity, but ultimately they just want someone to, to fill the bandwidth. And, you know, if, if you really don't think through what you want and then can the agency fulfill those needs, yeah. it, nobody's going to be happy. You know, the, the, yeah. the agency might be doing what they think you told them to do. And you're saying they're not doing what you want them to do with the, When there's that kind of disconnect, nobody's happy and no one feels like anything is, is getting done. Yeah. You're spot on. So that's why it's so important that businesses looking to hire an agency know why they're hiring the agency in one of those three things or a combination of those things. And just as important, Agencies are committed to transparency on which roles they fill. Um, and a lot of times those things don't happen. And to your point, they get in there and the agency, you know, says, well, we do all things for all people. But what they really want to be is the experts that go in and tell a company what to do. The company doesn't know what they're looking for. So they go in and hire these guys that aren't being transparent and they're operating in two different modes. And now the, the company is upset at the agency for not following directions. The agency is upset at the client because the client's telling them what to do. All of these problems would be solved up front if we help businesses understand why are you looking for external help? And the external help is committed to saying, here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. If we can commit to that, it, it would make all of our lives so much easier. But it's easier said than done. Yeah, because a lot of times it's just you. How many times have we come into a client engagement and our main stakeholder has this grand vision, but they can't get out of they, they can't get out of like a reactive state? They're you know um, trying to quickly respond to to requests, um, questions from others within the organization, just trying to get things done. And we get pulled into that. I mean, it, it, it's very hard not to. Yeah, I mean, and, and you, there's a lot of the day-to-day -day that happens. But if we're, again, if we're committed to transparency and setting clear ground rules for how the engagement works, then we can have a healthy discussion about why we're not or why we are doing certain things. So again, going back to why do people hire uh, external agencies, if, if I'm hired to to help fix that problem if a company realizes they're in this problem of kind of constantly firefighter mentality and they want to get out of that um and then they hire a company that ex that excels in providing bandwidth that that is looking for instruction it's not going to work right it's probably yeah. going to make the problem actually worse um if if you're a company in that same scenario and you do hire experts to come in and help pull you out of that but you don't allow them to do that after you agreed that these are the terms of how our relationship is going to work. We're going to struggle to, to get to the outcome. So again, I think 
being really trend, this has to start in the marketing at the very top of the funnel in how we talk about what we do and being very truthful with the marketplace. And, and really where I think the, the critical decisions are made is in the sales process that we have to be comfortable losing deals by saying, no, no, we don't do that. Or we don't operate that like that rather than saying, yeah, we, we, we do that because I want the sale because ultimately that sets up the execution team, the strategy team for failure. Right. If I'm if I'm selling things that don't align with how we work and tossing over the fence, like, well, I made my sale. So we, we have to have truthfulness and honesty throughout this entire process. I think if we set that up correctly from the beginning, we have a much better chance of being jointly successful. But still, the job is with you. Um, and the people on the ground doing the work to constantly be having those healthy conversations. And this is where knowing who you are and what you do, both from a client and an agency perspective, is so incredibly, incredibly important um, so that we can have those conversations. And again, because we don't normally, I might say we, I'm saying the market as a whole, what ends up happening is the agency falls into, well, we do everything for everyone because we want to make the client happy and get more money. And it ends up creating really, really bad relationships. And I think we've heard this analogy many times before, but I was talking with a a VP of analytics last week and he said, you know, um, most people here have had a really bad experience with consulting. I'm like, not just there, worldwide, everywhere, worldwide, you know, um, it's, it's not uncommon to think as a external agency that you're coming in at somewhere below zero just because of history and the the experience that companies have had with with agencies because most agencies because they lack transparency and don't know who they are and don't understand their model end up by default it's not that they're trying to it's just because they lack any kind of vision for what they're trying to do creating bad experiences and that and that those bad experiences because they're so common tend to paint the entire industry so it it makes it difficult um so if I hear you correctly, what, what you're saying is, is trying to make people happy can actually lead to a bad experience. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and it's, it's, and I, I wanted to point that out. Like, yeah. there's a reason why I'm asking that because like people, especially in the services industry, and I will even say like, especially in our space, mm-hmm. People default to this. Well, let me make the client happy. Let me make we're, the client we're, we're happy. We're people pleasers. By I think you're yeah. right. I like there's something about people that are attracted to the digital analytics space that, by and large, we want to please. Um, yeah. And this is this is something I'm going to use myself as an example. It took me a while to get here, you know, and I got to that point uh, four years ago or so where looking at it like trying to please everybody actually can lead to bad experiences mm-hmm. for many involved not just yourself yeah. but but for the client oh, so that's yeah. why i wanted to call that out that like trying to please people because you use the word make happy actually don't lead to a positive experience yeah and i think that the right way to look at it is that it's more important for us to make our clients happy long term versus short term it's the make happy short term that causes most of, if not all of the problems, right? Like we want to please in the moment and we may do things that make the, the client happy right now, but those choices ultimately make the client unhappy long-term and create bad experiences. So would we rather make them unhappy for this brief moment, but overall in the bigger picture, more happy? Yeah, for sure. But in that moment, 
I understand how that is difficult to do, but we have to shift our perspective again from this. We're, we're not first responders. We're not like our work shouldn't be firefighters. We shouldn't be working on emergencies. So we need to shift our focus from like that emergency uh, triage perspective to being future backwards thinkers. And and when we do that, I think it's much easier to get out of that people pleaser mentality. And the again, the 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 thing about it is that it actually works the opposite, right? Like we get out of this people people pleaser mentality, and we end up pe- pleasing pe- more people over a longer period of time. We we end up getting what we want. Yet it, it feels so counterintuitive for for how we get there. Yeah, because I think we're at least in my experience, I'm not going to say where I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I'm going to speak just from my experience early in my career. It was always have good news. Mm. Like the, be careful with how you deliver bad news, you know, always have good news. So you, you get conditioned to, you can only deliver good news. And if you have bad news, find a way to make it good news or, or whatever. And I'll tell you this, like, you know, shifting my perspective a few years ago and saying that like delivering bad news is what needs to be done. Sometimes I've gotten to a point where it's, you have to find a way to deliver it, but oftentimes it's actually much more well-received than good news. For people that uh, are looking to gain mastery and be elite at what they do. Absolutely. Right. Uh, you played football. What did, did you play? Uh, I played football one year in grade school and hated it. Okay. I played baseball and basketball. So, you know, think about your experiences and the coaches and instructors you had around you, which ones were the most valuable. So I, I played tennis and, you know, uh, a, an instructor can say, it's like, man, your drop shot is really good. I know you don't need to tell me that. I know it's good. What, what sucks. I suck at all this other stuff and I need you to tell me that I suck at it and, and how to like, how to help me get better. Like telling me the things that I already know I'm good at isn't getting me anywhere. I need, I need to hear the things that I'm not doing well. And it doesn't have to be in a beat you up, you know, be a drill sergeant approach, but it has to be in a way where we have to be able to talk about things that are not just fluffy, make you feel good all the time. I mean, sure. That's part of it. And and again, I'm not saying that we need to be jerks in how we deliver feedback or guidance, but if we're shying away from having those conversations are we really making our clients better? You know, if, if, if they're hiring us to just come in and tell them, tell them the things they're already doing well, that they already know about what, I mean, are we, I guess we're, I don't know what we are rally. We, we, I don't know, pep rally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what are we, what are they paying us to do? You know? So again, this goes back to having clarity in what you're not to say that's bad, right? Like companies hire uh, motivational speakers to come in all the time and pump up their, their teams. That's awesome but they know what they're hiring for and the motivational speaker knows what they're giving. So we have yep. to be clear. Why am I hiring this agency? And the agency has to be clear. This is what, what we do. And then let's find the match. If there are agencies that come in and say, Hey, here's all the amazing things you're doing with analytics to make them feel good and get them pumped up. That's awesome. But let's have clarity on why we're doing that and why we're offering what we offer. So, so let me ask you this, taking like those three different types of agencies that you laid out, like, or why the three different reasons why a company will seek outside help looking at the digital analytics space specifically, what types of agencies do you see out there? Like the different types of services that are available? Well, 
It's it's both services and just overall how the agencies are constructed. So I, I would say on the two polar extremes, you have agencies that do a very few things, but do them very, very well. Whether that's, you know, analytics or optimization, you know, analysis, optimization, strategy, whatever it is. Um, there are agencies that do a few things and do it really, really well. And they're fully transparent about that. Then you have other agencies that are kind of the jack of all trades. We do everything. And um, those can also be valuable. Just think of, I don't have my printer in here, but you know, like an all-in-one printer, that's a scanner and a copy machine and a printer. And those are very convenient and work really well, but they're never going to average. They're, they're, they're average in everything, right? So you get the you get the convenience of having it all in one piece, but you're giving up or you're accepting that all of those pieces are going to be pretty average. And maybe for you, average is okay. So again, this comes back to the conversation: What are you looking for? Are you looking for average? Great, you know, an all in one may give you what you want. Are you looking for the extreme elite experts in the space, then don't buy the all-in-one machine. Don't go with the all-in-one consultancy. You're going to be frustrated. So I hope that the the message is like resounding over and over again, that it's, it's so important to put the work in up front to understand why are we looking for an external agency. And those conversations should be way more valuable than all the fluff conversations we have around, well, how big is your agency? How fast are you growing, bro? Like all this stuff that is are maybe secondary or tertiary important questions, but aren't the most important questions up front to ask about why we're actually looking to hire an agency and does this agency fit that mold? So th- those are the extremes, right? Like you have the extreme elite experts. We do a few things, do them really well. We do we do a whole bunch of things and we're average at, at those whole bunch of things. Um, and then even within that gradient, you have different kinds of agencies as well. So you have pure play analytics agencies, which I would say 336 is, we're primarily focused on providing business strategy based on on data. Um, but analytics is also super trendy. So that means it becomes a bolt-on to lots of other agencies because, ooh, here's a quick way to make a buck. So early on it was search, right? So you had lots of search agencies that did um that did both SEO and SEM. Uh, all of a sudden you see them bolting analytics onto it. <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, you know, um, now we're, now it's more and more media agencies in general that are more creative agencies bolting analytics on design shops and web development shops. We can bolt analytics on. Um, so you have, you know, you have your, your pure play analytics shops that that's there. They, everything is rooted in data. And then you have lots kind of outside of that, that have, a strong expertise in another discipline, be it design, development, uh, SEO, SEM, social, you know, there's lots of things that hang off that, that they have a, they have a core competency and then they've bolted analytics onto that. Um, I, if you're buying the core aid, the, their, their core service, and it's kind of like a nice little value add to add the analytics piece. Sure. If you're going to them for, for analytics, you're going to get a pretty crappy experience. That's again, it's going to be average at best. Yeah. Side question. Cause I do remember when all of a sudden all of these various marketing agencies were, well, we have an analytics offering right now. We have an yeah. analytics offering right now because it was the cool thing to do. Do you see a trend of 
that same thing happening with something else now that that's the cool thing to to add on to to services that might be offered yeah everybody is doing ai all of a sudden <laughs> have you seen it like ev- i have yeah everyone is bo- well we have ai cool cool but I mean, yeah, we see these trends over and over again, where you see emerging trends coming out, and and it becomes less about a core competency or an expertise that they have, and it becomes just a way to attract and kind of cash in on that hot new thing, right? So I'm always wary of things that are or emerging things that are coming out that are getting a lot of attention in the marketplace, where all of a sudden, you know, it's like why you were, we've seen this in so many different. Um, so many different displays of how businesses have been done, but I wish I would have taken a screenshot, but I think there was like uh, an electrician or a plumber and they were advertising that they were doing like advanced AI. So I'm like, what? Like, maybe I just don't get it, but it what was that a joke. It had to have been, but, but this happens all the time. And I remember back, um, the 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 tail end of the dot com uh, craziness. Everybody would like dot coms were it right. Like yeah. if you weren't if you weren't defined as a dot com, then who are you? Like what are you even doing here? So I worked my first job out of college. I worked for a network a company that produced network management solutions, um, and had been around since eighty the eighties. Um, they'd been around a long time. Very established brand. Um, really strong in the institutional space for for running large scale networks for schools and hospitals and 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 organizations like that. And then someone got the bright idea: well, we can capitalize on the dot com boom. So we went from being called Novell for thirty years to we legally changed the name of the company to Novell.com. And I think it lasted a couple of years. It was so embarrassing. Like it was so like people could see, I'm like, really guys. And we had this marketing campaign and television commercials at PGA events and all this stuff about how we're now novell.com. I'm like, what are we doing here? What was that company maybe two years ago that like out of the blue changed its name it's offering to some kind of crypto offering <laughs> crypto I mean, i'm serious like i want to say it was it. like a pet food company yeah i think you're right or, yeah i can't or something like that that yeah. all of a sudden was like we're now a crypt- crypto yeah we're a crypto company now yeah so hold on. i gotta look this up. look it up but another great example right crypto was hot and then everybody's like oh we do we do uh we do crypto and, and we're into blockchain now remember like five six years ago everything was blockchain like we do yes. analytics on the blockchain we sell pet food on the blockchain you know it's like everybody was tacking it onto their business as yeah. if all of a Here sudden it is. yeah what'd you find long island iced tea changed its name to long blockchain it's it was a, it had to have been a joke right i think but it was <laughs> i think it was half a joke but half serious too like because i remember saying is this some kind of joke and it was it was they were trying to cash in on the whole crypto and blockchain craze. Yeah. And so, you know, this, ha- there's so many different iterations of this happening. Again, my personal experience with .com, I think you bring up a great example with blockchain and crypto. And now that's kind of crashed and burned, at least for the moment. And so now, you know, we're not on that bandwagon. Everyone's everyone that was a crypto advisor on Facebook is now an AI advisor. Um, you know, you can, you can see this happen maybe 10 years ago was it the dot io 
um, domain that was so hot. So like everyone was like, we're now 336.io. No, we're not going to do that. Like, what does this even mean? Right. And, and, and again, this kind of goes back to the start of our conversation. If we're not ground, if we don't understand who we are, it is so easy to get blown around with the winds of change. And we just try to adapt and jump in on the latest new trend. And, you know, we may win in the short term, quote unquote, but we lose long term and the clients almost always lose in these scenarios. You know, like we need to be honest and truthful with who we are. And that isn't saying that we shouldn't be attuned to emerging markets and trends. Absolutely. But if we're so easily swayed to jump on the next thing and now all of a sudden we're, you know, we're, we're, we're a blockchain company one day and now we're an AI company and then tomorrow we're something else like that should be a huge red flag if I'm out looking for an agency and I see that pattern. I, I want to avoid a company like that. I want a bit more stability and future backwards thinking rather than just, I want to capitalize on the moment. Um, many years ago, I interviewed with, with an analytics agency. And do you remember when Facebook stores were the, the hit thing? Oh, yeah. Everybody was creating a Facebook store. So you could have your catalog, like someone's on Facebook, they would see your catalog, be able to purchase through there. It was the hit thing. And I'm like, this is going to fizzle. This, this will fizzle. And I was interviewing with this company and they were like, tell us your thoughts on social. I'm like, oh, I've got many. But, you know, I, I was like, social's always going to be a component of the web. Um, the mediums will change. If you think about it, you know, you, you go back many years ago, there was um, the like the, the email news groups mm-hmm. and then there were forums and chat rooms and then various iterations of instant messengers. And then you got into the social sites like MySpace, followed by then Facebook and Twitter and and whatnot. You know, the mediums are always going to change. I, you know, and I was like, you have to be careful. You don't get caught up in the fever of the moment. And I said, there was a lot of social, the social component that was the flavor of the moment. And I guess they didn't like my answer. Cause my, I mean, I went to a bit more detail, but they didn't like my answer. Cause I didn't get the job because I was basically saying like, yeah, if you're offering your clients, like let's set up your Facebook store. I said, you're, you're wasting your time. They're wasting their time because it's something that's going to fizzle instead of staying focused on what, you really want to use social for you're not, you know, I, I, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, going back to where we started with the data on things. Cause at the time, the company I was working for, they had their agency side setting up Facebook stores and everything we saw with the data was showing social doesn't lead to conversion, at least at the time. So, you know, you're not getting direct conversion out of social. I said, social is your channel channel to stay on the pulse of what your customers are saying. Is there some kind of viral post that's going, that everybody's sharing that puts your company in bad light? You need to get ahead of that. It's a way of easily hearing what customers are saying about your newest product launch. But if you were trying to convert directly through social, it's not there. Yeah, but uh, again, the reason why you probably didn't get the job is because they want 
to sell that at the moment, right? Oh, and yeah, yeah. It, it definitely, like a year later, <laughs> I was looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, they just wanted a drone yeah, that's going to go out there right. and say, yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's not really look at the long-term sustainability yeah. of this. And is this something worthwhile? The the only people that win in that scenario are the agency owners, the, those that have equity in the agencies, because they're the ultimate snake oil salesman. They'll, they'll go and grift people on the hottest new thing, AI, uh, crypto, blockchain, dot com, dot whatever it is, right? They'll they'll run their grift until they get run out of town. They'll go to another town and do it, and then some new grift will come along, and they'll come back as a new iteration and grift the same people over and over again. And they know they can do this because the vast majority of companies don't know any better and are are excited by this shiny object, right? Novell needs to go to novell.com. Hey, let's sell. Let's tell them they need to be on the blockchain. They're such easy targets, right? So, and we see this all the time with companies like, yeah, we need this solution, that solution. What are you solving for? I don't know, but this stuff looks really cool. So we need to buy it all, right? And so they're being taken advantage of by these by these really slick agency owners that are selling them things they don't need. It's a horrible experience for the consultants. Um, the, the companies end up getting very little value. And so oftentimes... I guess at best they feel bad that they didn't get any value at worst. Everyone that made the decisions gets fired or pushed out of their position. We've seen it happen numerous times. Um, but there, but there the agency owner is stuffing their pockets with more money off kite surfing in the Maldives, you know? So yeah. um, we, we need to be clear about it both as employees. If I want a good experience as a consultant go don't work for a snake oil salesman that it's you know we're reinventing ourselves and bolting on everything and ripping off customers because you're going to be put in a situation where they're they're not going to do it they're going to ask you to be the unethical one to pitch things you know are wrong for the client they're not going to do it themselves they're going to make jim do it right they're going to profit from it though um and again if you're if you're looking to bring in external expertise if you're not clear on why you're hiring an agency Man, you are putting yourself at risk to falling victim to one of these agencies that are just selling you whatever the thing is, right? And I want to be really careful talking about this, but there are a couple agencies in our space that are doing this really heavy right now at GA4, right? Talk about GA4, like we have to move or like everyone's doing this is a new thing. Like we're seeing there's a couple agencies that are being incredibly predatory out there pushing this when they have to know deep down that for a lot of the customers they're pushing this for, it's not the right solution. But hey, I get a stuff in my pockets full. And once they figure out, I'm long gone. I'm off to the next yeah. town. So yeah. And, and I think that that kind of comes back around again, talking about understanding what you need as an organization that's hiring, as well as understanding what agencies exist. You know, and we're going to have an episode on agency red flags. So I don't want to get too far down that road. But this is talking about like, where does this agency stand? Are they constantly shifting offerings? Are they always talking about what you need to know in the current situation? Or are they talking about what is just the hottest thing? Because there's a difference. There's a difference about being in the know on where the analytics industry is going where the the practice of analytics is going what new technologies are available to help with it and those just jumping on the latest fad yeah like the, the, don't confuse those two yeah so if if you're a buyer it, it needs to be both things number one you need to put in the work and thought up front to ask the question why are we even hiring an agency 
right? So is it bandwidth? Is it expertise? Is it is it objectivity? Is it a combination of things? Number two, you need to, once you figure that out, you need to decide what type of agency do we want to work with for the problems that we're trying to solve. And then once you have that, you have to then figure out if the agencies you're talking to are able to, to align with what you're doing. And I would say, and I won't go down the red flags path, so we can save that for a future episode. But in general, if you're trying to vet that out and every time you say, can we do this or do that? And it's a yes, that should be a huge red flag, right? Um, completely unrelated. And I think I may have told this story before, but I was interviewing once for a position and the interviewer was like, well, what do you know about this? Or do you know about this? Do you know about that? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he said, do you know about this? I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And frankly, that sounds made up. And he said, and he started laughing. He's like, yeah, I just totally made that up. He's like, he's like, everybody sits in this chair and they say yes, that they can do everything. And so like every once in a while, I want to throw a bogus thing in there to see if they're just saying yes, or they really know what they're talking about. So, you know, the same holds true when you're interviewing agencies, like none of us know everything. You know, even if we're, you know, an all-in-one printer solution, there's things that we don't know. So if you're talking to an agency and everything that you're asking to do and every question, you, yeah, we do that. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, I would probably run away. Yeah. So let's go ahead and leave it there. A little meandering, but I think still we hit the the important points of like, what kind of agencies exist in in this space just why agencies exist in general and some of the questions you should definitely ask if you're looking to to bring an agency on because as we started this conversation hiring an agency is not just hiring an agency like there's there's more to it to make sure that you're going to get what you need are you again are you looking for someone that's going to come in and help you assess your situation tell you what needs to be done or are you looking for someone that's going to sit there and wait for you to give them orders because again different agencies will handle each of those situations differently yeah and, and that's really it and and hopefully all the meandering kind of stories and stuff helps cause people to think a bit and then really the most important thing to question is why are we doing this right because i think yeah. I, i'm hoping that people are listening it's like wait a minute yeah like we fired all these agencies i have no idea like and what are we hiring for bandwidth? Are we wanting them? Who knows? Like, and we didn't even know that there were different types of models. And so hopefully if nothing else has caused people at least slow down a little bit and think, yeah, why are we hiring? And what, what things do we need to know to find the right partner? Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Cool. Good to, good to chat about this today. We got a couple more episodes coming up and yes, we definitely have an episode to talk about like what, what should be a red flag? if you're interviewing an agency or, or just you already have an existing relationship, what do, what do we see as red flags? I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. And we're saving that one for last. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as we wrap up, I've got my Eagles Jersey on, we got the Super Bowl coming up and I'm just going to say, you know, like, I don't know what it's like having two teams that have gone to a championship. I don't know what it's like having a team. So yeah. Well, I mean, we, like, I mean, I've seen like, I've seen the Phillies win one world series. They just played in another one. And, you know, there's a gap in between. I've seen the Eagles win one super bowl, but to have the Phillies go to the world series followed by the Eagles go to the super bowl. Like, yeah, I'm again, not used to it. I mean, if the 76 which make the finals, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I, I was joking with, uh, 
someone back in the fall with this. The Eagles were playing great. Phillies were in the playoffs doing well. The Sixers, they had a rocky start to the season. The Union were in the mm-hmm. championship game to the MLS championship game. I'm like, if the Sixers start playing well, just just <laughs> start burning cash in the backyard. <laughs> uh well enjoy the moment yeah yeah cool well this has been a great great chat um we'll go ahead and wrap up there and we'll talk to everybody later see ya see ya thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 tangents if you enjoyed what you heard please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.